everybody and welcome to the sunny 16 podcast uh, my name is aid and i am one of the sunny 16 extended family here for your delectation and delight this week it is a joy to to hang out in a really big group even if we only get to do that you know over the phone as it were is it a phone uh, internet whatever anyway <laughs> Uh, there'll be a conversation about photography, I expect, at some point, um, but it might just be a chat and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, first, who have we got with us this week? Uh, drum roll, please. Oh, it's the delightful Claire and the almost as delightful Graham. <laughs> I would say more delightful Graham, but I'm in the minority of one. Okay, well, let's just say Claire's better lit then, shall we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, you're, you're both e- equally hey. delightful, but mm-hmm. equally beautiful, but Claire is definitely better lit. Yeah, uh, I, we should mention, Aid, actually, at this point, given how beautifully lit we both are, that this is a video podcast this week, so people can go to YouTube and see us, see all of our lovely, lovely, well-lit faces. We're all doing better <laughs> with the lighting this week, I feel, even me, marginally. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's good. It's good. And of course, uh, we, we've got a, a, our our uh, talented producer in, in the background as well for those that get to go and look at the video and see just how it is. <laughs> oh, he snuck onto the screen. He's sneaking in. Oh, well, now he's gone again. <laughs> yeah, producer John is going to be throwing us off our game all evening. <laughs> Yeah, but that's okay. I'm, I'm I'm loving the whole shuffling Polaroid squares around thing, uh, which it works so well on video, probably less well on the audio, but mm. never mind. Anyway, it isn't just the three of us this week, is it? Uh, with John in the background uh, doing the tricks, because uh, we have two super special guests. And this is what I meant by the extended family, because we have... And Graham has really spoiled the first <laughs> syllable in each of their names, but I'm going to try and get it the right way around. <laughs> we have Jeff and Gabe from yeah. iGame of Cameras. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hello. How's everyone doing? <laughs> yeah, good. It's good to finally meet you um, and, and to be able to chat and put a, a face to the voice. Fantastic. Likewise. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. I've been trying to decide, is iDream of Cameras, is it the Fraser... Or is it the Joey? <laughs> Which one of these two is it? Because <laughs> one of those seems well, less that... of a compliment than the other. Jeff. Yeah, that, that all depends on whether we get our back nine pickup or not. <laughs> That's uh, sports reference. <laughs> we're very nervous about this, but hopefully it'll happen. <laughs> I, I just assumed it was uh, a reference to I Dream of Genie, but there you go. You know, I I pitched the working title to Jews with extra money, but then they <laughs> vetoed it. Oh, <laughs> so funny! So there came oh, my dream of cameras. That was our second choice. I, I, think how great the T-shirts would be if you had gone with exactly. <laughs> two Jews yeah. with extra money. <laughs> Those would be selling off the shelf. <laughs> it's a, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it pays to sleep on it overnight, doesn't it? Yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> yes, it does. We really, we, we were just about to press the button and then uh, held back and said, let's sleep on this. Yeah, you could have had a lot of remainders out of that stock, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. hopefully everybody, everybody who's listening to this, I would imagine, has probably heard you guys already because we've shared, uh, I think, two of your shows on the Sunny 16 feed and you're up to show number... Which one did we just put out? Was it show number five Four. we just put out? Or is Four. it five that's coming out? Oh, so Four went out to it, so and it's five coming out this week. This has been coming so thick and fast. I'm still going to keep up with the numbers. Yeah, six is already in the can, I yeah, think you have, right? Yeah, six in the can, yeah. yeah. So, so show number five is coming out this week. So the last three have all been 
um, or we'll be all be on the Sony 16 Presents feed. So hopefully everyone has listened and is up to speed on where you are and who you are. But it's probably a good idea, just in case someone's been living mm. under a rock, um, to give us a quick precy as to who you both are and, and what I dream of cameras is. <laughs> go on, Jeff, you go first. Oh. Okay. Well, my name's Jeff Greenstein. I'm a television writer based in Los Angeles. And um, gosh, Friends, Will and Grace, Desperate Housewives. Those are the ones people seem to want to talk about the most. There are others that people don't like to talk about. We'll skip them. Gabe is a longtime acquaintance. We have become closer friends in the past year. Uh, We have discovered our mutual love of film cameras. And I kind of roped him into doing this, knowing that... uh, that he was equally devoted to film cameras. Gabe, you take it. You introduce yourself. Uh, my name's Gabe Sachs. I am also a writer-producer, uh, Freaks and Geeks, Night Shift, Diary of Wimpy Kid movies, 90210, boy, um, <laughs> and, and a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, I uh, have been a camera geek for a very, very long time, and uh, it's distressed a lot of people, and I needed to find someone that <laughs> would talk to me and uh, be my therapist through all of it. And and uh, luckily, uh, we found each other. <laughs> so Jeff has helped me with my addiction, and uh, it's just getting worse and worse. I was going to say, you say helped you with your addiction. <laughs> helped how, exactly? <laughs> because it seems more to me that you two are actively feeding each other's passion. Because one of you yeah. goes, look at this camera that I've got. Isn't this fabulous? <laughs> and yeah. the other one will go... I don't have one of those. Should I have one? Well, of yeah. Those? The pr- the problem is that Jeff has cameras that I don't have, so I'm always going, "Wow, that is the coolest looking camera." And what frustrates me sometimes is Jeff will have a camera that is just the most beautiful thing in the world, and I'll go, "I have to get the camera." And then he said, "It's really terrible." It's like it's like one of those cameras. <laughs> it's all those the pictures are terrible, but it is the most beautiful camera ever. So, we are uh, each yeah. other's best enablers. That's <laughs> yes. what I've learned in the time we've been doing this. Because I can't tell you, first of all, Gabe's available via text seemingly at all hours. I don't know how he makes that work. <laughs> I may be talking with a chat bot half the time. Right. But I will text him and I'll send him a link to uh, an eBay auction. And I'll say, should I do it? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> yes. Always yes. So, it's always yeah. yes. So in the time that we've been doing this, I think I can place three separate purchases at the feet of Gabe Sachs. They would yeah. not have happened had I not spoken that's to what, him. That's before. what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I don't think that sounds good. You've got, you've got to, you, you've got, sometimes you've got to just go with it, haven't you? I mean, I don't know if either of you have uh, dropped into the Sunny 16 Discord this week, but there was a, there was an article on the BBC News about uh, an old fellow who unfortunately passed away, but he had a collection of over 3,000 cameras. Oh, and he's gosh. had to buy where he, where he lived, a, a small town, I think, in, in mm. somewhere in Scotland. Uh, he'd had to buy the local Salvation Army Hall to house his collection. <laughs> okay, that's unbelievable. Amazing. That's amazing, right? It, it sounds great until you realise that he actually died from an avalanche of cameras falling on him. It's not so great now, is it? Now it's a sad story all of a sudden. Now it's just a disaster. Now it's a disaster. <laughs> I, with with your stuff, like... Um, I think I think I heard the expression. I think it was John Hodgman on this podcast I listened to a long time ago, and he was discussing that the difference between... A collector and a hoarder is whether or not you have stuff on display. So you, are you guys, I mean, we can kind of see behind you. You both seem to have quite a lot of stuff on display. Are you pretty good about showing your stuff off? Uh, well, I would say I'm a, you know, belorder. 
I would say I'm a combat. I'm really a combination of a collector and a hoarder. When someone asks me, isn't that a lot of cameras? I go, I am a collector, but it's obviously there's, there's a, a lot of stuff here. Um, there's, wow. there's it's a lot incriminating of evidence going up on the video at the moment. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a fine line. Most of those are Jeff's. But yes, there's, there's a, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line between collecting and hoarding. But um, I think the ones that are, uh, I realized I'm a collector is when they are on display. And the ones that are in boxes, you know, reveal that I truly am a hoarder. Mm. So it's a combination of both. Jeff? Yeah, I, I, everything I have is out. Uh, it, there, that picture that it just went up, actually, when you walk in the front door of my house, about 10 feet to the left is that shelf mm. with all my cameras on it. And I like having them out. You know, Gabe and I discuss mm. in a recent episode how long it takes us to get out the door, trying <laughs> to figure out which cameras to grab before we leave the house. But I like them as mechanical objects. I just think they're beautiful. Mm. And so I think I was influenced. I once was, um, when we were doing Will and Grace, we had a we were invited to uh, a party at uh, the apartment of a New York photographer. And he had this glass case with all of his beautiful cameras in it. And they were all weathered in exactly the right way. And it was this like focus of attention mm -hmm. that not only like what he did for a living, but his love of his tools. And I thought it was kind of great. So I think I'm similarly a collector slash hoarder, but, I make, but I'm really rigorous about making sure everything is out. Mm -hmm. And I want to use it. And one of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast is I think I am more devoted to things being beautiful and Gabe is more devoted to things being utilitarian. He's much more about like, does it work? Mm. Yeah, but yeah. that said, is you know, from, from listening to you guys, you seem better, Jeff, about going, yeah, this camera's not working, get rid of it. Yeah. Whereas Gabe, you seem to have a history of going, well, I'm going to put this in the box and forget about it and maybe I'll love it later. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe I'll love it later. You're <laughs> absolutely right. It's like I put it away. I go, oh, I've had such a bad experience with this. And instead of doing what a normal person would do and go, it's time to get rid of this and say goodbye and say thank you for whatever you've given me and then putting it out in the world, I have to put it somewhere else. And hopefully one day I will fall in love with it again. And this is something that uh, Jeff is much better at doing than I am. I really would love to be able to thin out and just have the cameras that I use all the time. But I don't see that happening very soon, sadly. Well, if you enjoy it, that's okay. Yeah, there, there's no problem with that. It's, it's you know, the, the, the two things, the photography and cameras, are different hobbies. You know, it, yeah. as, as, uh, as our friend Hamish says, you know, he has two hobbies. He has cameras and he has photography, and, and that's okay, right? As long as the two right. get along, as long as the two hobbies get along side by side, um, that, that, yeah, that, that's brilliant because then you've got two hobbies, right? Right, exactly. I think the problem is the searching that always thinking there's another camera mm -hmm. that I need to experience. But I guess that's why we're doing a podcast is because there is always one more camera, one more lens that I don't know about and I'm learning about, you know, from a podcast or, you know, a website that I just want to try out and see what it's like. So. I'm always hunting. That, that's interesting because you, you've called you, you've called your website and your podcast "I Dream of Cameras." Is it is is it the cameras rather than the lenses? Then, oh, I think it's a combo. <laughs> I really think. I mean, because I look, I, you know, sadly, we we really do dream. <laughs> we really do dream of cameras, um, and there's always cameras I'm seeing that I know nothing about, and Jeff has cameras that I'm learning about that I have not used. So it's always, you know. 
it feels like the right name for what we're doing. Yeah. Gabe spoke in a recent episode about the Noctilux, which is a lens I don't have, but a really exotic, super fast, super expensive Leica lens that gives a particular quality, particularly to like portraits, this really shallow plane of focus. So you mm -hmm. get this lovely kind of softness beyond the subject and stuff. And so, yes, we do dream of lenses too. Um, but I think one thing we've started to sort of interrogate in the show is the way that the different tools unlock different parts of you artistically. You know, I love what Claire does with Polaroids. I just think that that work is amazing. And it is, it's restricted in some way by what you can accomplish with a Polaroid. And I think those restrictions are interesting. Um, you know, for me, I just got a wide Lux. I had always wanted one of these. You know, it's a panoramic swing lens camera that shoots an image with a moving lens that spans 126 degrees during the exposure, which is something you can't really replicate with any other sort of still camera. I guess you can sort of do it with your iPhone, but the images that I'm getting out of it are really interesting. And there's, and it unlocks something different than what I get from an Olympus OM-1 or a Nikon mm -hmm. F or a Roloflex or something. The, when you, yeah, I can to totally get that. Out of out of shot here on on the wall in my study is what well, my my favourite photograph of our wedding, and that was shot on a wide lux. Um, oh, a friend, a friend cool. of mine has one, and we we were outdoors uh, and yeah by a river, and there's just this amazing shot. And actually, my wife and I we're tiny little stick figures in the corner of this amazing landscape shot, but it so, so captured the whole thing for me. And it's an amazing so so the wide lux thing. I totally get that. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we could talk a great deal about gear. Um. But you guys have got a great podcast so people should go and listen to i dream of cameras to hear you talking all about that stuff if you haven't already um then just make sure you're going and checking them out they're out every two weeks at the moment this is fantastic i i sincerely <laughs> hope that hollywood never kicks back into gear because that's really going to mess up your important <laughs> podcasting schedule um but there's some other things that i thought i would really like to because you guys are ideally placed to ask about certain things and one of the subjects that i thought would be good to talk about is something that we talked to actually Anil about Oh, um, and Stephen about, I guess, a couple of years ago was about the trend of celebrities and film cameras. Uh, and before we started recording, you were talking about, was it, um, it wasn't, was it Ryan Johnson? Who was it you were talking about that, um, you know? Yeah, who, Ryan Johnson. It was Ryan Johnson. Oh, thank goodness. Um, who you know, who shoots film and, ha and has shot for a long time, is very into it. And so there obviously are people out there in, in your industry that are very passionate about it. Um, but we have seen a lot over the last few years of people pictured on Instagram with their film cameras and their, their likes right. and stuff like this. Um, and it, it has an impact on all of our hobby, for one thing. So, I mean, is it a fad? Is it, a, it or who are the genuine shooters, I suppose, and who are the ones who are just doing it for Instagram likes? <laughs> Well, I think there's a lot of um, luck when I guess it was the Kardashians with the Contax T2 and then those prices blew up and then people were with the Yashica T4 and those prices blew up. But I think there's a genuine interest in photography from people who want to slow things down and take their time and, and really care about pictures because everyone has a phone so everyone's a photographer everyone's just shooting 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 they're taking a million pictures a day they're taking a million selfies and then when you put a film camera in their hands it becomes a different thing it's a different process they get to 
develop the film or send their film in and then they see how it comes out. And I think that interest is really spreading. I think people are really getting interested again of, uh, in film cameras. And I think that's why the demand is there and, and people want to, you know, shoot as much as possible. I think it's a really interesting thing because a lot of actors on sets will see me with the film camera and some of them are going, can I see the picture right after? And I'm going, no, it's a film camera. <laughs> and so uh, they become interested. And I think there's there's a lot of great um, actors and directors that are really amazing photographers. So it's fun to see that. I suppose it's creative people, isn't it, that you're working with? And so the desire to be creative. And, and when they see that going on, it's quite appealing. Have you introduced many people to it yourselves? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, Gabe, for sure. I Yeah, I have gotten people addicted. Um, so there's a photographer, Chris Lowell. Who, first of all, he's a great actor. He's in a ton of shows. But Chris Lowell was in a show we did, Life As We Know, which we shot in Vancouver, Canada. And um, I put an old, beat-up Leica M4 around his neck for the character, which I'm always trying to do. <laughs> Every character, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> And so uh, I put some film in it and I said, just shoot as much as you want. Just keep shooting and learning it. And this is what this kid's character, he's fascinated with photography. And so uh, he shot and shot and shot and never stopped. And uh, he had a show with David LaChapelle. I mean, he's a major, unbelievable photographer. If you see his work, it's mm -hmm. under Chris Lowell, I think on Instagram, Mr. Chris Lowell, so talented. And that's someone who stayed with it. Um, mm -hmm. Tristan Wilds, who was in the show The, Wa the Wire, and he was in, we put him in 90210. Um, yesterday, he posted himself with a film camera and he said to me, See what happens? You know, it's, 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 <laughs> you're just, I'm always handing the camera to someone and letting them feel, you know, and, and see what it's like and take pictures. So I enjoy passing it on to as many people as I can. Mm -hmm. Have you been guilty of the same thing, Jeff? Oh, yes. I mean, one of the ways you mentioned earlier that, that I might be a little more adept at offloading gear than Gabe is. Well, one of the re ways in which I offload gear is I give uh, I give uh, film cameras as gifts quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, if I've lost interest in a camera, here is a very convenient way to pass it on to somebody else. And so I give particularly like little rangefinder cameras. They're so easy to learn. Yeah. I gave a friend a Canon G3 QL17, which is just a, if you want to learn film photography, there is there are few better cameras than that because you can toss it in a jeans pocket or a purse or whatever. It's always with you. And sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. I was at a friend's house recently. I had given him an Olympus 35RC as a gift. And he's like, oh, let me go get it. And it clearly had been sitting on the garage, like next to like the motor oil, you know, and the discarded plumbing <laughs> equipment. But that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. As long as he kept it. So yeah, I try and like pass it along as well. I find that Polaroid cameras tend to be stickier. I think people appreciate that there is a physical object that comes out of the camera. Mm. You know, it's a little different than film photography because I think a lot of film photographers, they just send the film in and they get the image scanned and then they get back what is effectively a digital photograph. But with a Polaroid, a physical object comes into your hand and you put it on your fridge or you give it to the person who's in it. And there's, I mean, we all have been talking over the last several years about the revenge of analog. There's even a wonderful book called Revenge of Analog. You know, Gabe is also very into typewriters. There's vinyl records, mm -hmm. board games, like these tactile 
things that we're drawn to in a world that feels increasingly digitized and ephemeral. And so I feel like film photography is part of that. And the Polaroid thing, it's really interesting you said that because Martin Starr, I don't know if you guys know, he was in Freaks and Geeks, he plays Bill, but he's also was in Silicon Valley and some other things, is Martin and I went to some event and he had his little Polaroid 600 with them and just loves it. I mean, it's just people love, you know, he loves taking portraits of friends and then handing them the picture and, you know, he's gotten more and more into it. So I just, I love when I see that. I love when people are, you know, because people really are fascinated with, oh, they still make film for that? You always get that question. And they're just mm -hmm. like, that camera still works. And, you know, it's so far into most people. So I love uh, going out there and shooting and showing people. I always think the whole instant film thing is, is a real challenge to give away the photograph. This is like <laughs> one of a kind yes. and you give, a, give it away. Right. And you know what? I've, you know, never does, certainly never does my photography uh, give so much joy to people as when you give them uh, yeah. an instant shot uh, you know and and right. they they said do i have to shake it no don't shake it <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> damn song right. Right. Uh, and yeah and the that that is the the most joy i've ever given in photography certainly um it's uh it's a it's a, fa it's a fantastic thing to be able to do I'm interested in the kind of work that you guys both like to produce, photography-wise. I mean, you're, like you're both writers and producers. Um, but where does your photography take you? What kind of stuff are you mostly shooting? Because I, I probably see more of your stuff, Jeff, than yours, Gabe. And you, you do a lot of landscape, a lot of where you're going and travelling, and it's a real mixture of stuff like that. Is that what primarily attracts you? Yeah, I mean, I what got me back into film photography was portraits of my family. You know, uh, you know, when my son was born 23 years ago, I suddenly had a very interesting subject, even more interesting than the West Highland Terrier that I had at the time. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I would take pictures of my then wife and our son and so forth. So that that kind of engendered mm. wanting to get film cameras and get back into photography. So it started with people, but it also was a spur to travel and exploration. I mean, for me, I do a lot of cycling around Los Angeles. I have a Brompton folding bike that I throw in the back of my car car and I go to some bike path and I have something new to photograph and some new landscape. One of the advantages of living in Los Angeles is that there are so many different landscapes crammed into a relatively small area. You can mm. be at a snow-capped mountain or a sandy beach, a 45-minute drive in either direction. You know, and so yeah. there's a lot to see and a lot to explore interesting landmarks. And I think that's what stimulates me. I do do, and this is where I'm going to throw it to Gabe in a minute. I do have, do some on-set photography. I like having an Olympus pen half frame camera in my back pocket when I'm on set. And so I shoot a lot of black and white candids when I'm blocking out a scene or between takes at the craft services table. I like doing that too. But I think it's the, the spur to see different things be more visually aware, be more aware of my surroundings and so forth. That's kind of what spurs me. I, I think what started for me is sort of, you know, on the first sets, I would just, I had just traded all of my Canon film equipment to be able to get just the body of the Leica M6. And I described everything I had together to get that. And I, uh, then I traded some other stuff to get the lens and, I think on the set of Freaks and Geeks where everything sort of opened up, I just sort of shot in between takes and I shot as much stuff as possible 
on set and my stuff was mostly focused on portraiture. So, you know, I'm always shooting friends or friends of friends and that's really what I enjoy doing. And I love, um, I love the process of film obviously and trying different cameras, but I think that's what satisfies me the most is, is really uh, portraiture. Do you think that your co chosen careers, your professions, influences in the way you shoot at all? I'm reminded of, I think it was uh, Douglas Adams. In fact, I'm sure it was. I'm going to paraphrase this badly, but he said something along the lines of, you know, in a given situation, a party or whatever, a comedian will, if given a chance, will come up with a really funny line instantly. Whereas a writer will come up with a really funny response half an hour later. Um, and, you know, you guys are both romantic comedy writers and that's kind of what you guys do. Does does your career, does it change how you think about photography? Are you planning ahead more in terms of what you're doing? Is it a more structured or are, is it a reaction to your work? Are you out there going, trying to react to the scenes that you're in? That's interesting. I would say... Um... I say you, you sort of think filmically. I mean, you know, uh, we both direct. Jeff's directed, you know, more than I have. But it's you're thinking differently. I think that from the get-go when you're a filmmaker, even as a writer, you are, you know, writing scenes. And in the head, you're in your head, you're sort of, you, you know what you want them to look like. So I think with photography, when you go out there, you sort of have that thing automatically with you. So when you're framing something or shooting something, you're able to play with it from that, you know, point of view. I think that's, that's how I do it. Yeah. I think for me, you know, I've, I've both written and directed in a variety of different modes as a multi-camera writer and director, you're really making a stage play. Um, and that is very much grounded in the words and the jokes and the lines and the banter and the dialogue and so forth. But at the very beginning of my career, and now like for the last 10 years, it's been primarily single camera stuff and other stuff, in other words, stuff that's shot more like a movie, Desperate Housewives in particular, mm -hmm. a couple of the other single camera, Parenthood, that was another show that I worked on. And you really do think a lot more as a writer, you're visually sort of, you have a visual sense of the scene when you're, even when you're, you're directing on the page in a lot of cases. And I know Claire, when we did our on film episode about blow up, I told you about how many shots I stole from Michelangelo Antonioni when I was right. directing yeah. one of my episodes of Desperate Housewives. I think a lot about visual design mm -hmm. and how it dramatizes a character's emotional predicament. You know, mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, the difference between the feeling of a closed room with lots of verticals and lots of bars versus the feeling of like sitting out poolside. We know that emotionally that evokes a different response mm -hmm. and it's a different way of portraying the character's inner life through her outer life. And so that that kind of feeds into the writer's toolkit as you're thinking about the kinds of stories you're telling and the kinds of scenes you're working out. Mm -hmm. I hope that answered your question. I think so. <laughs> Certainly answers something. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, are you, have you been tempted to, or do you think you ever will in the future, bring these elements into the work that you're producing photographically, into your photography? Can you, given that you're used to working in an environment where you have control over all the aspects in terms of what you're bringing to it from the writing and the directing and everything, like, and you've got experience in that, 
would you like to go, okay, I want to do this with pictures. I want this with still images. I want to create a scene. I want to create a story that is contained in this one thing. Because I mean, that's like when you see photography at its best, that's ultimately what it is. It's the ultimate pinnacle of storytelling in one frame. Um, mm. Is this something you guys want to explore? Well, I love that idea. I mean, I, I love trying to tell a story. Um, I think that, you know, the dream, like when you see these giant sets or these, you know, beautiful photographs, you know, that, that have been, you know, worked on and staged and things have been built. I mean, that's amazing to me because they're sort of combining the filmmaking aspect into a, one still shot. A lot of, you know, Vanity Fair and a lot of big magazines, mm. you know, do that where they're planning and, you know, these, these giant, uh, you know, Annie Leibovitz shots or anything like that, you are creating a filmic feel for a still yeah. shoot. And that's I love, sort of, do, yeah. Go ahead. Sir. No, go, go. No, no, no. I was going to say, you, you're making me think one of my favorite photographers is Gregory Crudson. Do you guys know his, I mean, oh, yeah. he creates these stage sets often with like, he had Julianne Moore featured in one yeah. of his photographs where he tells an entire story inside one very dense frame. Mm -hmm. I mean, Claire, I know, like, I know, I assume you're a Cindy Sherman fan. Yeah, 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 and I definitely, yeah, and and one and thing Alex that I love Prade. about, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and you know, I love Cindy Sherman, Alex Prager. Do you know her work? And, and oh, Courtney yeah, yeah, Roy, yeah. they're all all similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like one of the things that's so great about Sherman's yeah. work, particularly that breakthrough work she did with mm -hmm. untitled film stills, was mm -hmm. there was a story in this frame, like this woman in the frame with the wardrobe and the setting told an entire story. So I'd like to, to get back to what you're saying, Graham, the project I wanted to do in 2020 was a thing that I was calling a paper movie. I really wanted to do a photo book that was images like that, that would tell a story, mm -hmm. but it was kind of hamstrung by my inability to travel. And so that book never came to pass, but it's something I still hope to do as things open up. Cause I have an idea for something I want to do very much in that mode. Definitely. That sounds really interesting. Cause of course you're creating a body of work that with a theme running through it for, for a book or for any other publication is, is very different from, you know, every shot being a hero shot. Cause every, right. in a body of work like that, you know, some shots that maybe wouldn't make it a standalone have become very, very important, you know, as establishing shots or as, as close-ups or, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's something that I, I, I've thought of uh, and done not not to my satisfaction yet. I've tried it, um, uh, but not not really done it to my satisfaction. But I do try and if I'm uh, set set myself maybe even something as as normal as a home video right a vacation right. video for the family, you know I find myself going in and like, okay right so we're here we're visiting. Uh, whatever right today yeah where's my establishing shot what's my close-up going to be you know stuff like that and i try and think like that but but with with photography i uh, i i very rarely discipline myself to think in terms of a body of work and getting those right. extra shots as well so right. do you do you find it a challenge or do you find it freeing or is it is it just fun look i, I to me, it's it's always fun. Like always to yeah, be able to good. use to answer. use to use my camera. It's like such a, you know. And sometimes I will, you know, get film back or develop it and go, 
you know what, I could have done this or I could have, you know, focused more on this. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes there's so much to think about. And I think that helps also with our jobs is we have to think of 6,000 things happening at the same time. And so even though photography is a calming process, it's like when you can focus on just that, it's sort of the greatest thing ever. It's like just mm. the greatest reward. Yeah, I think also, I mean, Gabe and I have become accustomed over the arcs of our careers in television and Gabe in the movies. When you want to make something, there is an enormous permission apparatus that you have to move through. Mm -hmm. In other words, you have to conceptualize it, but then you have to go get a producer to believe in it and a studio to believe in it and a network to believe in it and get it funded and build the sets and hire department heads and cast it. And it just, it is an enormous pyramid of decisions and people and money. <laughs> and there is something very freeing about being your own auteur, just to go out with your camera and make a work all by yourself with no permission mm -hmm. required. It's really kind of exhilarating. And I mm -hmm. think that's why photography is such an interesting counterweight to my day job. You know, even though it uses some of the same skill set, is there's no permission required. Anyone can go out and create. And I think that's, you know, it's it's just so different and liberating. Mm. No one's giving us notes, which happens <laughs> yes. almost in every every yes. phase. Even when you've shot it and there's something you've shot, they're gonna say, "Why couldn't you have done this?" Yeah, so. do you know, I couldn't imagine that. That's that's not a feature in my professional work. Oh, that I can't imagine that every meeting I go to or every rehearsal of whatever, I you know, somebody would come back and go, "Yeah, here's my notes." So I didn't ask you for any notes now, but here's my oh, notes. Yeah. <laughs> And you also get notes. Here's the other thing. You also get notes from people who aren't experts sometimes. Sometimes there are people that have never <laughs> held a camera or told a story in their lives and they've just started the gig and they're responsible for giving you notes. And so that part gets, you know, a little frustrating, I should say. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, mean, I can imagine, yeah. Not all studio executives are great. I can't believe that. I've heard nothing no, but good I things know. about them. <laughs> Some are great. Some are amazing. Some are great. Some are great. And usually yeah. the way you can tell if they're great is if their reference points extend beyond the movie they saw on Netflix three nights ago. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I always appreciate when a note is given by someone who has maybe seen a play <laughs> or watched a black and white movie. I, I, I it, it yeah. Just, it makes me little feel things, a little, more little things. Yeah. Yeah. But no, Gabe's right. There are, you often find yourself kind of Trump patiently listening to creative with a K thoughts from <laughs> people who got the job because they worked for the person who worked for the person who worked for the person who mm. was good. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, and is, is shooting film, particularly film photography, you know, it gets you out of that, doesn't it? There's no redos, is there? <laughs> no, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, I think, I think it's fun to, to just be able to shoot and know that's it. <laughs> so, well, Claire, you must have some of that as well. I mean, it, yeah, there's quite a lot of jeopardy in your work, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is. But I was just listening to that. But I, I love, for me, I love the whole process, like you said, and, and from what Gabe was saying earlier, I start in here. And um, I love the whole the whole thing of me thinking, okay, what outfits do I need? What props do I need? Um, where am I going to set it? Um, if I go, if I'm going away, if I'm going on a holiday or if I'm in an exhibition, I'll always bring my cameras and then I'll do bits of research and might see where I'm staying and then I'll build up a whole scene around that. 
Um, and then I get going and yeah, there, there, there is, but I just, I keep going until I can get as best I can. And obviously you do get disappointed in your shots, but I think for me, um, I'm, well, two things for, for me is, I've, I've said this before, my comfort zone is, 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 is outdoors in, in bright sun. And that's why I, re I really would love to get to California would be like a dream. Um, yeah. And of course, because of where I'm actually living and the COVID situation, I've had to 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 think differently, and I and start thinking about how can I turn my lounge into a little set and 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 do, doing more with lights and stuff. So right. yeah, but I guess, but I don't know. There's this thing about yes, about slowing down with film, but then again, there is that you can control so much but there is almost sometimes that random quality that i i really enjoy about film and with polaroid in particular i love the um well to me they're magic anyway and i'm kind of addicted to polaroids right but um i do like the kind of perfect imperfections you can get um as well as how much you can control it sorry um aid i've probably completely digressed and not no, no, no. a question at all <laughs> no because it's because you know as i'm listening to, to to jeff and to gabe describing their processes and, yeah. the, and the, the differences yeah. between you know the day job and the photography yeah. hobby and and things like that you know i think you're telling the story because you, you work so hard kind of, to tell a story with <laughs> with yours and and it's the, the whole process and in in my own way much much less disciplined uh, i do recognize that every time i plan to make a photograph it actually turns out a bit different than when i just wander yeah. around pointing the yeah. camera at stuff right. right so so there you know I, I i i'm just horribly undisciplined and i have this this not attention for me so that would be over egging it a bit but you know for me there's there's two sides to it one is the you know i have to be fairly precise and fairly responsible mm -hmm in my professional life and so photography is mm. is the, the the place where i just get to pot around and nobody holds me to account for anything mm. and i can right. do what and i can start things and not finish them and that's okay right yeah. except that the problem i have there is then i never managed to finish any photography stuff <laughs> <laughs> right oh yeah because Claire, you, the situation you were describing, like with your photography and the way you make yeah. stuff, you said you're you're coming up with the concepts, you're um, thinking about how you're going to set it out, how you're going to produce mm. it, and then having to self-direct stuff. I mean, essentially, what you're doing is all of the elements that you, mm. Jeff and Gabe, you're having to do. I'd be interested from all of you, like as you as you went from the one thing to the other. So whether it's starting from writing or starting from the idea of these photos, and then having to actually learn other skills, learn how to produce stuff, learn how to direct others. Does that create like a feedback loop so then it then goes back around to the beginning next time when you go okay starting with the ideas of the <laughs> writing phase everything else that you learned on the previous one does that all feedback so that you can kind of i don't know build a, a stronger structure next time because you know what's going above it is going to be like i i think well yes i mean we it was a when i went from will and grace which as i said was more like a stage play kind of show to desperate mm -hmm. housewives it was a really interesting change for me because mark cherry who was the creator of the show and uh he encouraged us to think visually and if you know if you've watched desperate housewives you know desperate housewives has a wraparound which is a narrative device where mary alice the dead character in the show who narrates the events <laughs> of the series walks us through the lives of these women and kind of sets up the episode. And Mark was really meticulous about getting us to think about visual motifs. Like, 
is there a hand pouring a glass of, you know, is there a hand pouring a pitcher of water in every shot? Or is there yellow in every mm -hmm. shot? Or is there a person packing a bag or putting on a dress or, you know, or cooking or something? And so or even the idea that there would be a left to right move the camera would be panning left, right, or a character would walk across the frame. And it was like going back to film school for me. Mm. It was like a reminder, you can tell the story through action. People don't have to say stuff all the time. And so going from Will and Grace, which was this incredibly blah, 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 like wordy show, <laughs> to a show that often was told visually, mm. changed my writing utterly. So the next time I sat down to write something, it was not a scene where five pages of dialogue happened. It was a scene where it was a page and a half mm -hmm. of action and action kind of overlaying the words. Does that make sense? That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's really interesting because what you've brought to mind there is some of those sequences in Edward Scissorhands, you know, the, the, the husband's going out to play golf on a Saturday and all the cars come off the driveways and drive through the, the, the suburb all, all in formation and stuff like that. It's, um, you know, it, it, it there's that, uh, that, that, to, how, how do you write that? That's a really, that's a really interesting. Sorry, my brain is just going spiraling no, off on a tangent. That's, that's actually a great reference for Desperate Housewives because our show also took place in that sort of candy-colored suburbia. Mm. You know, it was yes. all pastel yeah. tones. Everything is beautiful all the time. Everyone is perfectly turned out all the time, and it was fun to play inside that kind of slightly fantastical world. And as I said, the scripts that I wrote of my own after Desperate Housewives bear no resemblance to the stuff I did before. Because it's almost like I had been trained to like write in a different mode, use a different part of the brain. Hmm. And has that carried forward since then? Yeah, I, very much so. I mean, the, the, the pilot that I wrote this past year was, it was about a woman struggling with her mental health. And hmm. trying to depict that on screen can be very challenging. Hmm. You know, um, this may not be a good example, but like Sound of Metal, have you seen that movie? So damn good. Have you seen it? It's a new movie. It's on here. It's on Amazon Prime. It's about a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing. And it is about how his life is changed by that. The story is told in this fascinating mix of visual motifs and sonic motifs. There's, he, you know, yes, of course, he could talk about what it feels like to lose your hearing, but the way in which his world shifts, the way in which Different lenses, different choices of focus points and stuff mm -hmm. is used to create this sense of dislocation. It's exhilarating. And it's mm -hmm. a reminder that we're making a visual medium and that there's more than one way right. to unfold the story. It isn't just about characters talking mm -hmm. about them. So, so when I, just to go back to my own thing. So when I was writing this story about a woman who was struggling for her sanity, I was always looking for like ways to do it visually so she didn't have to talk about it because talking about it could often sound didactic, wrong, you know, too literal, mm. you know, and trying to show it, you know, I mean, Claire, you do this to show the inner lives of the characters mm. that you depict. You choose props and costumes and yeah. lighting and so forth. That's yeah. kind of what I was trying to do as well. Yeah. The other thing you touched on, Jeff, is, is using different parts of your brain. So we will often go from, you know, I went from Freaks and Geeks, which was these mini movies about our lives to, just shoot me, which was a sitcom and and just, you know, very fast and and crazy and wild. So you're using a different part of the game. And then photography uh, to me is that calming thing that it's just me. I'm doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. 
and you're, you're still using another part of your brain. So I think it's really interesting that you sort of move around with whatever project you're doing because they're never exactly the same. We do drama and comedy and it just goes back and forth. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, Gabe, about the fact that whenever you want to do something in your industry, you're always having to get permission. There's always there's so many steps. You're always having to seek approval for stuff. Um, <laughs> is it hard to stop that feeling with your photography do you find that when you're doing stuff you're like i want to get this out i want people to see it and go this is good because that's how everything else in my life works if people aren't looking at what i'm doing and going this is good then i'll get in trouble it's so interesting you say that i think look you try to all the time i mean you like to get things out i think in photography because it's what you really want to do mm. television and film is a huge collaboration it's always going to be a collaboration it's very hard to have the power where you could just go, I'm going to shoot this with very few notes. And and there are people like Judd Apatow is uh, at that point where he will not, you know, he'll listen to notes, but he doesn't have to take notes. He just does what he wants to do. And I think that that's the attraction, again, to photography. Um, but you are sometimes thinking like, oh my gosh, is this the right, will people enjoy this? And um, I think I, you have to sort of snap out of that and go, this is, what I want to shoot and this is mm. what I enjoy doing and some people like it some people won't mm. but you get over very quickly when you're doing television and film because <laughs> you you you're so you have to remember when you're shooting a show and it's on the air we did this our last show was night shift which was I was in Albuquerque for four years shooting this series and every time the show would air the next morning you're getting calls from everyone about the ratings numbers and it's not just you know make the show you want and it goes out there and whatever happens, but there's the pressure of making it success successful and getting those numbers. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, it's really yeah. crazy. And it's a weird you, thing. And when you put something out, you know, it extends beyond that permission apparatus we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier of having to be beholden to notes from studio network actors and so forth. Mm -hmm. It belongs to the world once it leaves your hands. You know, I mean, I think I talked about this a little bit last time we spoke, but yeah. Friends, 25 years on, is something people care very intensely mm -hmm. about. It does not belong to me anymore. It doesn't belong to the 12 of us that wrote that in a room. Freaks and Geeks is the same way. Freaks and Geeks <laughs> is a show that people are intensely passionate about, that they intensely identified with those characters, and they feel very connected to it. And... There are choices that we made on Friends or on Will and Grace I don't love so much these days. Things that are feel terribly dated and I kind of cringe a little bit, <laughs> but it's out there. It belongs to everyone now, yeah. you know? And it's, it's such an interesting study in contrast because like imagine you took a photograph when you were in ninth grade that became the most popular photograph in the world and it's all anyone was talking about <laughs> 25 years later. It's unimaginable. Yeah. And yeah. that's what it's like for me to go back and look at the work I did on Friends. Like, I mean, same thing Gabe was talking about. None of those actors had big careers. Courtney Cox was primarily known for dancing with Bruce Springsteen in a video. Yeah. Like, and all of a sudden it is a totemic, yeah. like pop culture phenomenon that people buy the Lego set. Oh my yeah. God, if you had told us, the 12 of us in the room, that there would be a Lego set of the character, <laughs> I mean, come on. That is definitely a measure of success, I have yeah. to say. If and, somebody makes a Lego, so, they make a Lego exactly. set. Exactly, when, yeah, when it, it becomes Lego. When anything you do becomes Lego, you know you're <laughs> That's huge. Um, 
So <laughs> photography in a lot of ways, yes, we, we love to put images out there and get a few likes on Instagram and love for people to approve mm. of them. But the, the, the risk is so minimal and it's so personal and failure is so petite. <laughs> You know, it's okay to fail. No right. one has to know but me that it didn't work out. Mm. You know, and whereas, and I have had some high profile failures. The high profile failures are spectacle and they're disgust. <laughs> and they have a, a giganticness that it's like, it's it's a very interesting contrast. Mm. Yeah. Does that impact your creativity though? Both of you, like you're saying, if you, whatever you consider is a failure or the ratings, does it, does it, uh, does that pressure it must well, affect your creativity, I would well, imagine. Oh. As you get on and you've done it for a long time, you're basically going into a room and selling them a show with the attitude of, this is what I'm going to make. Mm. This is the show. You ha you're showing that confidence and passion for what you want to do. Because mm -hmm. in the very beginning, when we got notes for the first time mm. that wasn't Freaks and Geeks, and you got notes, you were like, okay, Okay, do that, do that. And then you went home, oh, I did the notes and you go back and you're forgetting that they may not even remember what notes they gave you because they're doing 25 other shows that they're giving notes on. And so you sort of, you know, you want to please, you want to please. It's all mm. about how do we make it better? We want them to work with us again. And then you sort of, you get over that. <laughs> and you sort of say, I'll listen to the notes, you know, in your head. You go, oh, I'll look at that because there'll be a ton of notes that are bad and then there'll be some that are good and really helpful. So you sort of, um, you get into that world where it's just, it makes you a little crazy. It can be <laughs> tricky sometimes when a show becomes really successful. And as tricky as it is when things fail, it can be sometimes more tricky where you start to get massive validation for certain types of choices. And sometimes the audience just wants you to repeat yourself and they don't want things to change. You know, when I had run Will and Grace with the two guys who created it for four years and they left and in season five, we had some discussions early on in the writer's room and I said, I think Grace should get married and everyone wigged out because <laughs> how was the show going to be Will and Grace if she married some other man? Yeah. And when we did it, I think it was a great decision. We did it in our hundredth episode, 100th episode. And some people liked it because it was Harry Connick and some people didn't because we weren't doing the same things we had done in seasons one, two, three, and four, but you have to grow. You know, mm -hmm. if you allow yourself to be at the mercy of what 17 million people want from you, I'm yeah. sure we could all cite examples of shows we've loved where you feel like at a certain point it becomes fan service, right. that they're yeah. doing the yeah. show yes. that the fan want, fans want to see as opposed to what those 12 people in a room want to make yeah. and what's personal yeah. and relevant yeah. to them. And it's really a balancing act because you don't want to give the middle finger to your audience either. Right. So it's a, you know, sensing what they like, but really knowing how to live by your own lights. It's a very interesting. It, it is, that's a real challenge. You've just reminded me of a um, long, long time ago, but moonlighting. Yeah. The, <laughs> ra yes. the ramp up of the relationship <laughs> between Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd in Moonlighting was just astonishing. And I was t probably too young to be watching it, to be fair, but just like, uh, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? But, you know, it was just just an amazing thing to write. But how, how do you, you do that? How does such, such a 
finally judge and i think they got away with it i think they they did it well in that particular show but there are there are others i mean you know we we get that we get the phrase jump the shark um right. from yeah. a t from a tv program don't we you know right. so yeah you know there's, there's definitely there are probably more of those than there are of uh, ones that successfully make that transition i guess and i think there's also a time you develop elephant skin i mean you are <laughs> I mean, people really, you have to know you're going to be criticized at all times about what you're doing. And when it's something that's a real story and personal, like Freaks and Geeks was all our real stories. So the pain that came when the network would say, when is the geek making out with the cheerleader? And you just go, well, that wasn't our experience. Um, <laughs> you, just, you just sort of have to, you know, swallow a lot and go, okay. Um, but it's, it's that's the thing where you sort of develop this resistance to so much criticism because you're getting it all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we 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 hear a lot about you know, in some ways, TV being the new movies these days, and and some of these you know amazing productions. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. We could all pick a, a list of half a dozen of our favorites, and we'd we'd all pick different things, right? There's that much good stuff out there right now. Right. That you know that is. Yeah, it's, that sort of formulaic approach, I guess, is is slightly easier to to break out of the, in TV these days. But conversely, right, if Gregory Crudson started doing candid photography, <laughs> would anybody want to see that? <laughs> no, you have a point. I mean, has he painted it's... himself into a corner somewhat? Yeah. I don't know. I suppose this goes yeah. for work, though, doesn't it? I mean, I because I, I would Claire. When you're doing your photography, do you ever think, oh, I want to take some pictures, or maybe there are pictures that you have taken, which are just nothing like your normal stuff. Maybe they're landscape pictures or something like that. You think, I won't share this because this isn't what my feed is. This isn't what the people who follow me want to see. So I won't share this, even though that's what I want to do. Do you ever find yourself in that situation? Um, Not really. I mean, I, I do take other pictures. I do now and again put the odd... Um, landscape scene in not many I think for me I think I find sometimes I think Instagram's a great I like Instagram as a as a platform I like to see other people's work I think sometimes for me I can get hooked into that oh you know you've got to have x amount of followers and all that right. and I think it's really for me I feel like it's really important for me to try not to get too sidetracked by other what other people are doing and right. get in that well maybe if I started to do this I might get more followers but keep doing what you want to really do um I think that's important for me but um what I do want to do uh, more which I which is where my photography interest began which was um I began documenting the some of the local characters in my hometown because I found them just generally very interesting and quite fascinating there was some quite a lot of you know quite eccentric individuals that sort of intrigued me and I did take a lot of pictures which I've still got but unfortunately you know if you look at them now you know the composition's all dreadful but um I feel like I want to as well as carrying on with my kind of characters and self-portraits as well do more of those sorts of shots as well right right um and there's one woman that I've got my eye on and um she she was she was an ex nun and she's in her seventies and she's got this really long grey hair and she's a character but every time I've ever seen her last time I saw her 
she was waiting at a bus stop and I had turned my car around. I thought I'm going to go and see and ask her if I can take a photo and the bus came when she'd got on and gone. Oh, so I'm just, no. I'm just kind of hoping that I'll, I'll like see her again. Yeah. Sorry. Nice. Yeah. I, be be brave, Claire. Yeah. Be, be brave. Go do it. Cause you know, they're, yeah. They're, Stop the yeah. bus. <laughs> not that brave yeah <laughs> lot splat on yeah. the front of a bus no, no i wasn't saying jump in front of the bus plane no, no. what i meant was like, feel free to go and take different types of photographs yeah because yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, i mean this is you know uh this is one of the things one of the reasons i, I don't do instagram in fact actually most of my photography i do for my own benefit not for others benefit um right yeah. And that's not because I'm afraid to show it. I'll show it to anybody who's happy to look at it, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't post it on social media and stuff like that. I'm not, I've never been a great one for social media. I prefer to to broadcast at the internet, you know, <laughs> rather than to receive anything. You know? <laughs> nice. Broadcasting is great for that. It's so a, much a, easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I was just going to say, you know, just to to care, go go for it. And and, and Insta, Instagram doesn't have to. If you're worried about it, Instagram doesn't have to be the vehicle. In fact, you don't even need a vehicle, right? Or or or, or if you want to, there'll there'll be other ways. There'll be other channels. You know, we we live in a world where there are many 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 channels available to right. us. Um, although yeah. all of them are fairly virtual at the moment, but <laughs> you know, I I'd say go for it and and see 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 if you enjoy it learn yeah from it i mean you know last last week we were last week we were talking to a man who spent all winter in a shed painting collodion slides you know it's the <laughs> you know, it's experimentation you and you can you can do more with it i mean i'm i'm in the mid experiment right now and if you want to worry about whether people want to give you notes or see your work on a thing you know i i'm hosting a film photography podcast this evening and i sold almost all my film cameras last year <laughs> you know? right so yeah, it's uh, and you know the the few I've retained. The only one I use really is a, is a little Instax camera. Mm -hmm. um, so although I am printing a lot, I'm taking more photos than I've taken in years, and I'm printing tons of them as well, just on a little six by four die sub printer, a Canon mm -hmm. selfie die sub printer, mm -hmm. and and they're all over the place. In fact, pretty much everywhere mm -hmm. I look, I can see a ton of photographs right now. So you know things things are cyclical as well. So, you know mm -hmm. things have patterns. You know so. Yeah, don't get don't feel that you're stuck. Mm. I'd look at your other photographs. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, one of the things that's doing the rounds at the moment, which kind of ties in a couple of things that have come up with this idea of that people are looking, looking for things that are more looking to analog stuff, looking for things that to take them back more. You know, like you were saying like your typewriters and stuff like that, and also mm. people trying different stuff, jarringly different stuff. And actually, right. in this case, it's coming from like a quarter you just wouldn't expect it to come in from. It is the first couple of episodes of the new Marvel series, WandaVision. Because yeah. you, you watch that and go, this is very different. I mean, they're making a, you know, a 50s show, a like properly 50s show. And especially in those first couple of episodes, they played it pretty straight. There wasn't a lot of, and it's been a bit, <laughs> I've been a bit disappointed as more and more of the Marvel has kind of crept in. But, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but the the fact that they clearly felt that um, there would be enough interest and people would be on board enough with that. It says something about kind of, I don't know, where they think people's desires are going to be. Because like I said, that, that, those first couple of shows <laughs> were just mad mad 50s in the way they were done in, in like a real wholehearted way. It was Im impressive. Um, right. 
Like that must be quite a leap in your industry. Did you look at that and go, huh, bold choice? Or did you just think, well, it's Marvel, they know There's a lot of that it. in our industry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been, that's one of the first TV programs I've been you know, actually trying to keep up with. Normally I just wait until they run through and then catch them up afterwards if I want to. But we, we've been watching WandaVision and it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. I hope they stay as, I hope they keep challenging us as, as much as they did when they started out. I hope it doesn't become another standard Marvel thing because I think that'd right, be yeah. a, a really wasted opportunity because they've set up something that they could do something different. And I'm sure they got bags of listeners, listeners, watchers. What do they call those people? <laughs> viewers. Viewers. That's what they're called, <laughs> aren't they? Viewers. I'm torn when something like that comes along because I think it's <laughs> a very interesting. <laughs> the banana came it. up. Like, <laughs> I like it. There it goes. There it goes. Uh, I've been, okay. I'm always torn when, you know, I think WandaVision is a very interesting show and it's very, uh, it's exciting to see that sort of experimentation and mm -hmm. that way of telling a story within kind of the Marvel rubric. I think Mandalorian is a really interesting take on a Western, going mm -hmm. back to like what Star Wars was to begin with. Very interesting take mm -hmm. on a Western inside the Star Wars universe. That's great. I get a little tetchy sometimes because I wish you could do that kind of experimentation without it having be having to be mm. branded. You know, yes. if we yeah, could, definitely. you know, yeah. one of the things that was so exciting to me about a movie like Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's movie that he made after Star Wars is it wasn't based on a novel. It wasn't based on a character that already existed. It wasn't an Agatha Christie or, you know, it was just a brand new conception with a new ensemble of characters. And that to me is like the really exciting thing mm. is when something kind of bursts out. Say, remember the movie A Quiet Place a couple of yeah. years ago? So exciting, like a great genre film with a terrific premise that's based on nothing. That's just like a whole, and now of course there's a sequel, which is I think a year behind its release date because they want to they want people to see it in theaters because it's a movie that's about sound. Right. So, so I'm your, always kind of, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. So I was going to say your, your take there on knives out is really interesting because that's not what I got from it at all. So I, I thought it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. It was just a joy to watch, you know, uh, the, the lighting, the, the, the lenses, the, the story was, and, and, you know, or we give, uh, but, but for me it was okay. It was definitely something, it was a new, it was a new, look at a very a very standard you know agatha christie yes. style who done it and they had and and they had james bond in it as well so i for me it didn't seem to be a it's it, it, a a good i i read it as sort of a safe bet right so they'd mitigated the risk of doing something slightly unusual in today's market by right. making sure that they had a you know, you know, a hot lead actor and, uh, you know, a, a great, a great director who just come off something really big and, and stuff like that. So, so I, I, it's interesting. You thought that was a, you know, perhaps a, a risky and out there thing. Cause I thought that was a great, but, but relatively safe bet. I feel if you had called that movie <laughs> Perry Mason, <laughs> it would have been a much easier movie to sell, right? Uh, it's a car, maybe know? it's a cultural thing then, because in the UK we have a long history of TV <laughs> series that, that based around yeah. Agatha Christie mm. characters like Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot and, yeah. and others. Yeah, mm. and I think I agree. To me, that was an interesting like take on the Hercule Poirot kind of story, but 
I just love that it wasn't branded. You're right. It is very much in the Agatha Christie mode. It's just, it wasn't based on a comic book. It wasn't based on a novel. I get very excited when I see new conceptions that aren't beholden to a franchise. Right. You know, because we're in a very franchise-oriented culture. And Gabe and I both know, yeah, like, we're in the business of going out and trying to sell shows. It is almost impossible to go out and sell a TV show based on a wholly original conception. You need a, even if you're, it's just, I found this New Yorker article that is about a woman who was in two marriages. You need that New Yorker article. You can't just go out and say, I want to do a show about a woman in two marriages. They always need that safety net. Mm. And I'm not quite sure why. I think it's ass covering, to be honest. Um, But it's so much easier to like go out with something that is based on something else that comes from a superhero place or a comic book place mm. or it's based or a on a real show in the 80s. Yeah, based <laughs> on a hit show in the 80s. I'm always amazed when they remake shows that nobody has heard of. They're continuing you know? to do it now. Yeah. They had, I don't know if you guys watched the Super Bowl. This may not even be the right reference, but there was a long introductory montage to the Super Bowl that featured a digital recreation of Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers from the 1950s and 60s. I'm watching this thinking nobody alive knows who Vince Lombardi is. No, absolutely. And so this reference was utterly lost on people, but somehow that was better than just having a sort of an actor play a coach. Right. That's maybe not the best analogy in the world. No, no, it's, 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 no this, yeah, these, <laughs> things, these things are these things are all interesting. It's 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 really yeah, because it is. I think you know, from a complete outsider's view, my my limited understanding of the TV and the movie business is that it is a fairly risk averse business. You know, I, I'd like I'd like to you know I'd like to see more unusual you know uh unique mm. independent movies in theaters and and what have you that that's that sounds a bit like, like a bit more fun and and if there's a you know okay a bit of investigation well let's let daniel craig just have a laugh with it because what was right. the one he did the the other one he did the heist movie he played he played he played another um another character with oh, i can't remember what it was they were robbing a did he do a, a dreadful southern race. accent in that one too yeah i think so <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and almost he, he sat it, almost unintelligible a bit like uh brad pitt oh, in snatch Snatch. yeah uh um it, but he was fantastic he was fantastic in it and He's you could tell great. he was just having the time of his life he's like i don't yeah. i don't have to be james bond i can actually move my facial <laughs> right. muscles and and <laughs> <laughs> So true. You do talk about the risk aversion. I mean, you do see that within photography as well, especially I think for not professional shooters as such. Or actually, no, I think even with that, in in professional, in wedding, whatever, there's. You, there's an echo chamber. You see a lot of the same stuff and the same style of stuff coming up over mm. and over because people go, okay, that's what a good photo looks like. So I should be trying to make a good photo that looks like that because then everybody else who's making photos that look like that will go, I like your photo because it looks like the photos <laughs> I like to take. And it's, it's, it's this echo chamber. And so, I mean, that's why it's so it's so refreshing when you come across work and go, oh, that doesn't look like anything that I'm used to seeing. You know, like, like your right. work, Claire, for example. Like you, you hit... You can be scrolling through Instagram and you know, seeing lots of very pretty stuff. There's a landscape, there's a city, and then you'll hit your work and go, that looks different from everything else that I'm seeing here. Or, you know, someone like Simon's work, who we spoke to last week, and you go, that looks nothing like anything that I'm seeing here. And it stops you and, and, and it makes you think about actually what the work is and about what mm-hmm. photography can be, which is anything, which is absolutely anything. But most of exactly. the time, it's the same fairly limited palette of things. <laughs> 
it's right. um it's hard to break out of that. So true. Yep. Do you think? Do you both think a show like you know Twin Peaks, see the first ever um, season, would that be unlikely to get made today? Or they tried it. What yeah, do you mean they, they, they were going to remake they it? Doing, they tried to do a remake, yeah. and it was a very—I don't think it was long-lived. But yeah, people, um, trust me, someone will bring that up again in a pitch. They want something that was successful at one time, mm. as it's easier for an executive to sell it and go, "This is what they want to make. It's perfect. It's been done before. Yeah. We can. We'll just cast it with this person, this person, this person, and it'll be a great new show." And that's what's happening. Every month you're reading about a show from the 80s or the 70s that's being remade or a movie that's being, you know, and also sometimes you pitch a, a project like years ago and, you know, we wanted to do, uh, you know, when Silence of the Lambs came out, we were going, mm. oh, we got to do a, a Clarice on a, and now a Clarice, no. you know, thing has come out years yeah. and years later. And so this continues yeah. to happen because it's safer. It's safer for them to go out because they're they're competing with Netflix and and all mm. the streamers and as you can see their ratings are going lower and lower and lower. Mm. I think the the executive that greenlit Twin Peaks at ABC mm. back in the gosh are we talking late 80s or early 90s when that came out? Mm -hmm. Early 90s like, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that gentleman or lady deserves mm. an enormous amount mm. of credit because yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of flew on the strength of the name David Lynch, but think about it. That was a three network universe. There was only, I don't think Fox even existed at the time that that show came along. So that was made for ABC. You know, at the time it was roughly contemporaneous aid with Moonlighting 30 something. Mm, you know, yeah, this was a network yeah. that had a particular brand in one hour drama. And to do a show that was that much of a departure, that's courage. And mm -hmm. it's and a show exceedingly weird where you don't solve the principal mystery. Nobody behaves like a recognizable human being. Right. There's no big stars in it. You know, mm -hmm. nobody knew who Kyle McLaughlin was. You know, mm -hmm. no, did they not? Was, I knew who he was. He was he was that bloke from Dune, wasn't he? Oh, from Dune. <laughs> <laughs> was it before yeah. Dune or after? No, Dune was, was after. no, no, it was after. I was think, it after? It? Okay, it was. But I think so because so, so, like, yeah. The, and there was giants and everything in it. And I yeah, was just everything was peculiar. If he you know, came there, to that show now, would it be likely to get? wouldn't get any well weirdly <laughs> i think just because of what gabe just said yeah if you could find someone to believe in it then mm -hmm. yes i mean it is such a fragmented universe now you know i i said on twitter a couple of years ago i guarantee you that a when the emmy nominations come out there will be a show from a network that you're sure was a weather app <laughs> you know yeah. like there are so many micro streamers and yeah. strange networks with yeah. names like crackle and pop you know that like you've never heard of making great shows Shit's creek started as a show on pop tv a network no one had ever heard of it had a microscopic viewership one of the great comedies of the last 10 years so it was quirky and strange and idiosyncratic and I don't know if you could call Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara big stars at the time that was made, but it was it was a quirky, strange, singular vision. And it is weirdly kind of easier to get those things made now because you don't have to reach an audience yeah. of 25 million like mm -hmm. we did on Friends. 
you know? or even if it's based on another format you know formats are such a big thing where you take a show from another country or you make a deal with another country and you just mm. for this is the american version of it yeah um and i and it's so funny because i did that once i don't know if you guys have heard of this but uh, i created a show the first show i ever created was then i made a deal with tiger aspect in your neck of the woods called street yeah. mate and street mate was on which was this you know silly documentary i was doing about dating on the streets and and um davina mccall hosted mm -hmm. it yeah. and it was one of these things that just happened the other way usually it's always coming over here it's a it's a show yeah. adapted from england yeah. or europe or somewhere so it's very interesting yeah i tell you what yeah i'd like to say one of the things that's been a, a the most joyous tv programs for me from from here uh in recent years is is a show called detectorists uh yeah. which is a, a a a wonderful a wonderful sitcom it's uh, yeah very very slow and relaxing and laid back right. but some, so the stories are just amazing some of the photography in it is very good even though it's really just a yeah a sitcom um and uh you know if you get the check for those of you who haven't for those of you out there listening that haven't watched detectors oh, i gotta see watch it. it 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 is it is awesome i mean many people will recognize mckinsey crook i mean he was yeah sure uh, from, yeah, from the from the, the yeah, yeah for, well uh, and the the pirate movies as well yeah right. um to toby jones co-created it i think didn't he did mckinsey crook help create the show as well as star in it am i right it, about that the, uh the the office possibly i think it was a fairly small thing when it started out okay it, it was uh ricky gervais and uh who's the guy who writes with steve oh no i'm talking about detectorists didn't oh, mckenzie crook help create that oh show? sorry oh yes sorry yes yes yeah. yes very very much so yes um, yeah and toby <laughs> jones i don't know if toby jones is a household name around the world but he's he's a very well recognized wonderful. actor um in in uh in this country uh, fun, funny enough his dad was in june actually <laughs> so there you go oh, wow. cl close the circle his dad was um uh, mr jones um and <laughs> <laughs> mr. Jones. There you go. and he played uh, who, uh the oh was he i can't remember he's the, the the guy that pulled people's heart plugs out it then flew around in a chair in june what was it what was that Aaron character Harkin? called Baron Hark, thank you. Baron Hark, 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 Well Hark, done. Yeah. I've yes. listened to the book recently. <laughs> oh, have Perfect. you? Okay. Yeah. Well, he. So, so that that was Toby Jones's dad, as I as I understand wow. it. My obsession right now is a UK show called Staff Let's Flats. Have you guys seen this I've show? I've never heard no. of it. I no. love that I'm telling three Brits to watch a British <laughs> show they've never heard of. Uh, it stars Jamie Demetriou, who played the uh, rodent in season one of Fleabag. You know, did you oh, watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember with the teeth? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it is amazing. It's my favorite show. It won the BAFTA for comedy this year. It beat out, it beat out Fleabag, as a matter of fact. Staff mm -hmm. Let's Flats. Staff. It's on HBO Max in the US. Really, oh, really right. good. Gotta watch that. My favorite is, it, is, it, is it even on in the UK? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Really great show. I'm, uh, I'm a looking sitcom about an, a sitcom about an estate agent. Yes. <laughs> really, there it is. There it is. Thank there you, is. John Whitmore. It's been There's a tough year, hasn't it? Yeah. Sitcom yeah. about an estate agent. You say thank you, John Whitmore, but I was watching the video feed that's on John's screen and it looked like it was frozen for a while. And Jeff, you were frozen in mid gape. So save your thanks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, oh, there goes the banana. Um, so guys, good. I. I 
I know we need to sort of start thinking about wrapping things up now. And I wanted to regrettably drag things slightly back, kicking and screaming towards photographers and, and photographers. And photographers <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we should probably start recording the photography part yeah, of this probably. podcast soon, shouldn't uh, we? <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to ask you guys about, and um, I don't think you've talked about this on the show yet, although I'm sure you will do at some point anyway, but preempting that and, and ruining it, therefore. Um, Obviously, the photography you, you love uh, and the collecting of the cameras is something that you both love. And you've talked at length about the thrill of the hunt, the joy of going to find these cameras. And, and it's something you're both still actively engaged in. Jeff, you just recently got your wide lux. Um, uh, yeah. I think that's, I think it must make you the most famous Jeff with a wide lux in, in TV. <laughs> I mean, I've got to be. The only one. Um, he is the most famous Jeff with a wide lux in his house. Yes. <laughs> well, one of the most famous Jeff in his house. Yes. Um, but, I'm in the top two. Yes. <laughs> what I want to ask you was... Um, given that you've both been doing this for a while now and it sounds to me like you've i mean there are a lot of cameras out there but you've both got a lot of cameras that you love that are meaningful to you um are you worried it maybe isn't the right word but this this high that you get from going on the hunt the things that you're going to want to hunt for that that is an ever diminishing <laughs> collection of stuff um la, 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 la. <laughs> i mean especially especially for you gabe sadly especially for you because you really like as you're saying earlier like really good functional stuff whereas jeff you're prepared to buy crap as long as it's pretty crap which is i'm with you there i'm 100 with you but, um like is this a thing that concerns you and have you thought about where you'll look for that next high where when when cameras and hunting for cameras is no longer such a viable means of that constant drip of uh, whatever the endorphins, where is the, where is it going to take you next? It's never going to stop. <laughs> it's never going to stop. And this is the thing. So I'm usually on location a lot in mm -hmm. strange places and, and I will find myself as soon as I get there, finding every antique and thrift shop there is. So in Albuquerque, I had it down. And every day or every few days, there'd be a new something that came that would be in the store. So it would be, you know, what kind of camera am I going to find today? And sometimes I wouldn't find any cameras. But that desire to hunt and see something and see a different kind of camera, shooting it, seeing what it, that camera does that I don't know about, is uh is really fascinating to me and i just don't sadly see it ending you know you oh, know there's yeah. a finite number of there's, there's a finite number there of different it. cameras there at is. some point I won't. once again it is funny because gabe and i are already talking about like trading like right. lending each other just so we can experience each other's gear <laughs> I, I you know mm. i think for me i mean obviously the thrill of the hunt is part i mean i feel like the, i mean i remember when i would when I was collecting vinyl records, like the exciting mm. thing was going to a record store and you'd get dirt on the end of your fingers from like flipping through like hundreds and hundreds of albums. That is over. If you want a particular record, you go to discogs.com or you go to eBay and you just buy it. I think that the difference for me in camera collecting, this maybe goes back to something I said a little while ago, but each camera, it is a beautiful object. It is an exciting thing to hunt and ultimately capture. But there's also the way in beautiful. which different tools unlock. Oh, I love it. What is that? Wait, what was that? This is um, 
a pixie gnome, which is a weird or a gnome oh, pixie. I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, talk about box camera. That's the most literally a box camera. <laughs> that like, is a box. A box. <laughs> That's fantastic. I so I think it's it is about like the acquisition, right? And yes, we talk about that a lot on the show is the acquisition. But I think there is also the way in which these different tools unlock different parts of you as an artist. You know, I remember the first time I got a Pentax 6x7, which in a lot of ways is a completely ridiculous camera. It's enormous and ungainly. It's hard to, it's heavy, whatever. But the images that I got out of it were totally different than anything I was getting out of any other camera. And I don't know exactly why. Mm. And sim I mean, obviously the wide lux is a different frame. It's a different type shape of image. It's a different, it's distorted. There's lots of things in that camera that are automatically different. I've talked about how Gabe is constantly mocking my love of miniature and sub-miniature <laughs> cameras like the Minox. The Minox, as bizarre as it is as a machine, the kinds of images you get out of a Minox are totally different than from any other camera. So I'm interested in that mm -hmm. synergy between artist and tool. You know, the way in which it it brings something out of you. And I don't know exactly why. You know, we all talk about how analog photography slows you down. I think that's part of it. But part of it is just even the, the, the size of the focus ring or where the shutter speed is located or how you meter with it or what the finder looks like or how it feels in the hand. These are all things that influence the way you're going to shoot with it. The way you shoot looking down into the Roloflex square viewfinder mm. is totally different than the way you look, you know, the way you focus if you're looking through a conventional SLR. Mm. Right. So that kind of thing really interests me. And then, of course, the other thing is I've started, I started processing my own stuff um, <laughs> after a long, long layoff in the last year or two. And now I've started to do color processing. And that's a whole different phase of it is when you start to understand like that part of the image making. So I similarly do not think I'm going to get bored anytime soon, <laughs> even when I've bought the next or the next or the next camera. I love the denial that you're both living in. the camera What do you say? Never going to. Although, Jeff, never you, you nah, at least nah, seem nah, nah. to be having like a side eye towards, there might be other fixations that I can go into in the future. I've got 50 <laughs> yeah. enlargers now. and <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I was oh, thinking boy. idly today. I was on my way actually to Freestyle Photo to buy a C41 kit. That's our local retailer. And I started thinking, it, I think about you and your dark shed. I best. started thinking, do... Do I need, and I, I had a Durst F30 enlarger when I was a kid. That was the one mm -hmm. I learned on. And they're very inexpensive on eBay. And I started thinking, is it the time? Gabe, you have a setup right behind you. Yeah. Right? Do you know what that setup is? What is that? <laughs> that besides the, on the other side, I'm sorry. Um, is that's the, it's a Durst, the same enlarger that's converted <laughs> into a uh, stand to take uh to scan with my slr oh wow. that's a 30. that's so that. funny um yeah. but yeah i i look i also you know printing is such an amazing mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. and um there's so many photographers that i've had these talks with and i'll have my digital camera years ago i was in new york and uh this photographer she said to me goes yeah but come over here. And she opens a drawer, hands me a print. You know, there's a print, like mm -hmm. you can feel it. Your pictures, mm -hmm. you've got thousands of pictures on a hard drive. Mm -hmm. And I really love the process of printing and I'm trying to figure out how to convert a tiny 
bathroom and putting an enlarger in there. So mm. I, I love that whole idea. It'd be so much fun. Brilliant. I think John should. Uh, I don't know whether John can do this. Uh, John, uh, by the way, John, sterling work throughout Unreal. this Unreal. It, it's been. Oh, there we are. <laughs> there he is. Hey. <laughs> uh, John, you know, Gabe, Gabe was just asking you, is it the right time to set up a dark room? I mean, it's always the right time, right? It's all, yeah, it's always the right time. Get on it. Always. Don't delay. I'm on it. I'm on it. And, and, and <laughs> there he's coming. <laughs> Wait, one more thing, one more thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Oh. Um, and, and I think John would agree that also, once you start digging into that side of things, that can become every bit as obsessional as collecting mm -hmm. cameras. So that oh, can yeah. be perfect for you guys. Oh, yeah. As as your bags yeah. and your cameras. Yeah, if if you like spending money, don't <laughs> delay. <laughs> yeah. give us more things to be addicted to perfect yeah. Yeah. <laughs> both need it both clearly <laughs> uh, bye John again <laughs> hey I'm going to hand over to you to wrap this up <laughs> well to explain the last three or four minutes where we've just been doing visual <laughs> it's that. great uh, yeah sorry <laughs> yes. so for the benefit of the listeners uh, yeah some stuff <laughs> oh, anyway um <laughs> Some visual stuff. <laughs> Go watch it on YouTube. What's yes, the YouTube watch channel called, Graham? It's Sunny Sixteen Podcast. It is just going Sunny Sixteen. Sunny Sixteen. I like yeah. that name. It's good. I like that name. I think yeah. we'll stick with it. It's catchy. <laughs> Any minute now, we'll get round to a line of merch too. You know what? <laughs> Do you reckon we've still got on the Google Drive the original list of potential names for Sunny Sixteen? You know, I think I somehow after you managed to murder brutally all of our early documents i think i managed to pull that one back somehow i think i did manage to i yeah. did in a, in a google drive move i killed about the first 50 shows worth of show notes yeah, didn't you, i something uh, like no. that yeah you, some years back group. yes yeah. that was no. not my finest moment but hey. <laughs> well i mean <laughs> yeah yes that'd be uh it'd be interesting so well, well, well anyway sorry what well, you were handing over to me to do something and I got momentarily distracted because of all the visual gags I had to try and explain. Seamlessly wrap it up, Abe, which I think you're already well on the way to doing. Right, right. How does that go again? Do you know, after, my, after my extended break from the podcast, actually, came, um, last week, I, I was absolutely you know, quite, quite overtaken with emotion when I said, hi, welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast at the end. At uh, the beginning, sorry. And then the end, I just fluffed it as usual, like yeah. I'm going to do now. So but No, no, this week, you, you're definitely going to nail it. I, I, I feel really good. I remember when we started off doing this, you always nailed the ending of the show. I think I you ever fluffed it, and I have every confidence you're going to knock it out of park this time. Maybe, maybe I'm just getting stage fright now. We have so many listeners. Um, right. Um, do you know what? I can remember to start the end of the show, which is to say a big thank you to our guests, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Gabe, thank you, thank you very us. much. Have you enjoyed yourself? Happy to be here. We will be here anytime. We love your show. <laughs> Excellent. It's great to meet you. And Jeff, have you enjoyed yourself? It's been a delight and an honor. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's very good to hear. And, and Claire and Graham, have you enjoyed yourselves? Very much, thank you. And I love I Dream of Cameras. I really Yay. do love your podcast. Thanks, y'all. Um, I feel like I learn from it and I, I just love I love your accents. So I love listening to it. <laughs> it's a really good uh, podcast. So I shall be tuning in for episode five. 
Excellent. This week is it great? Yes, it certainly is. We are at the end of this week, and I love that again in this episode. I feel like there ought to be a drinking game um, because again, this week we might somehow bring moonlighting and David Lynch into the podcast. <laughs> I don't have themes. a problem with that. I don't have. I know. A with I, that. I know you don't. I didn't once mention like you know the the soft focus on Sybil Shepherd. Not once. <laughs> right, right. No. <laughs> well, I mean, once now you did. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I think you're mistaken. <laughs> I love the fact okay. John brought that graphic up so quickly. I think he just assumed at some point you were going to mention Moonlight Elves. It's in our stock ready. library, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of our stock photos now. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Actually, that that reminds me. There is somebody else we should say thank you to, and that is to John, who who is. Um, oh yes. Very cool work Ve- we love very it. very cool work on the live visuals john thank thank you very <laughs> much <laughs> you've been brilliant john i think my favorite Popping bit was up with... in your little polaroid again i'll my... stay in now i might as well the hard work's over yeah isn't it? my favorite bit john was where we could all watch you googling stuff i like that bit <laughs> i made one mistake one mistake in the whole show <laughs> I'm well, just glad that's... it was like a search result for the de- the detectorist and not anything else. <laughs> yeah, that probably uh, probably makes you our man of the match. Then actually, if if you only made the one mistake, I'm pretty sure exactly. I made quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> okay well do you know what folks we have been the sunny 16 podcast and as always it has been an honor and a privilege to talk with you all uh we will play you out now with rachel's band rocker and you can find their album promises i should have kept on bandcamp and spotify and amazon and other places and, and that YouTube. i struggle to remember go, go, youtube go to, go, here's a pro tip everybody i think the youtube channel is um weatherman which is a, a recording artist that um, rachel's worked with i think it's i'll, I'll find the link and put in the show notes anyway on his youtube channel he's got loads of his old videos of music that he's worked on including loads of the stuff rachel's done so you can see rachel oh, in uh cool. rock and roll days you know strutting her stuff oh, it's good cool. it's a good time that's how, that sounds good and of course as sunny 16 we are on the webs as well so sunny 16 podcast.com is always a good place to start as is the podcast feed of course uh hopefully you're all subscribed if you're listening to this if not then please do subscribe and sunny 16 podcast on youtube now to to watch john's masterful work masterful work john excellent um i'm loving i'm loving the, the whole aesthetic we've got going on here you know for those of you that can't see it or haven't seen it yet we're all in our own little polaroids we're on a nice wooden bench and uh With original and... polaroid frames supplied by claire Thank you oh of course nice. yes beautiful yes, yes. Mm-hmm. no yeah no takedown requests here yeah yeah and it's, it's important we should also uh, i know we mentioned at the beginning of the show but just to say if you want to hear jeff and gabe's show which i you really mm. should. Anybody who loves cameras and just loves chat about it, you, you have to listen. So make sure you subscribe to the Sunny 16 Presents feed because there is a new episode going out every other week and it's fantastic. Mm. Really good work. Mm. Thank, Thank you, yes. guys. Absolutely. Right. And on that note, uh, only one more thing to say, which is goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.